0: We're in our last Sunday, teaching through the book of 2 Timothy, the second letter of Paul to Timothy, and we've called this teaching series Together for Tomorrow for two reasons. Number one, uh, I think it's a fitting title for why Paul writes this book. Paul has been snatched off the scene. He's a political prisoner in a day when that would meant, meant certain death, and Paul realizes that God's not going to rescue him this time. He sends this letter to formally hand over to Timothy the leadership of the mission of Jesus, who said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stop it. Jesus picked Paul, one of the, not one of the 12 apostles. Paul, who was an outsider to the Christian part of faith, who had actually fought against Jesus to lead the expansion of the Jesus movement out of its Jewish cradle and to become a worldwide movement that has never and will never be stopped. Confident that the Roman Empire is going to discover the same thing as he himself discovered, that no matter how much force you use, you can't stop Jesus, so you might as well join him. Paul writes this one last book, commissioning and preparing Timothy to take over the tomorrow charge of of Jesus to make it a global thing. The second reason we're looking at this book is that we're using it as an occasion to get us ready for a bit of new thrust in our ministry program here. Come tonight to get more clarification on that. But before we look at this final section of the book, I just want to tell you about one thing uh, that we will be... Putting together and are working, starting already working together for the fall, and and that is a little bit of a difference in the way we do our hold our Sunday morning worship in the fall. We will be um, making a bold move, which many of us know about because we began talking about it last fall in our congregation meetings, and we had a vote about about a month or two ago to spend uh, a vote of over ninety percent to spend the money to make it happen: physical renovations to our facilities to accommodate a change in how we will meet and worship on Sundays, We're going to make the gym into an effective multi-purpose space, something that regardless of what we do in the future is a great move, and it'll basically accomplish three things. We're going to put some storage uh, for things like chairs that we now store in the hallway and all the stuff that gets crammed into the fireside room walls. And, uh, and we're going to put, put some storage for that. Uh, We're going to do some technical and acoustical renovations so that the gym, while still remaining a gym, but will also become an effective worship center. And number three, there will be some more controlled temperature and effective space for for doing some really effective community building stuff, like primetime banquets and also some of the social stuff that we want to do to, to, to really develop a sense of community and togetherness. And that's going to give us space and time for four worship services on Sunday, with three different flavors. In the multi-purpose auditorium, in in, the way we're planning it now, in both time slots to start off with, a worship service with a contemporary, more younger generation style. The sermon will be here, it'll be piped into there. And in the main auditorium auditorium at 9.30, we'll have a more traditions-oriented service in here, not just for the older generation, but for anyone who, on any particular Sunday, might want something that's a little bit more roots-oriented. Uh, Same teaching in both services. And in our second service in here, uh, at least uh, the way we're planning it now, our Mandarin ministry will be meeting in this room. Why are we doing all this? To create an environment where all generations can worship freely from their heart so that we can unite together to help the next generation help their generation discover life in Jesus. Write that down, remember it, pray through it, and and figure out how we can work together together. Why are we doing it? Because we believe this is a key strategy in helping us give ourselves to being together for tomorrow. We do not want to exclude anyone as we become strategically focused. We want to include everyone in the vision. Now, with that as a context, let's turn to this last section of the last book written by Paul where he brings to the foreground a theme that has been so far Uh, or has been, to this point, underneath the surface. One of the main purposes of this letter to Timothy, actually, this passage is all about that together part of together for tomorrow. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. And if you have your Bible open there, if you have a Bible app, uh, turn there. You you need to read it. And as I was studying this passage this week, I I was thinking about, well, I guess I'm reflecting my age, that old Beatles song. Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends. Oh, I get, well, we'll stop there. Uh, some of you know the song. <laughs> we, we need to remind ourselves how Paul comes into this passage. Though, so, in, in the previous paragraph, he's wrapped up the main teaching of this book with this, with this dramatic, powerful, well, it's a farewell. For I am ready to be poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Wow. I I can almost visualize Paul in his prison cell, closing his eyes and saying, Okay, Lord, call my name. I'm ready, take me home. Right? But he doesn't. Although the main teaching of this book for Timothy to use as a manual for ministry is over, Paul's not quite done. In some of our Bibles, this last section is called personal remarks. Well, okay, it it does get very personal, but this is way more than that. The main body of this letter has focused on the tomorrow piece Some important things Timothy is to remember. All leaders are to remember. If the world of the future, a changing world, is going to discover life in Jesus, it's going to be an uphill battle. But Jesus said he would build his church. And Jesus' call to his church is to believe that and give themselves to not wavering from the core truth, the core message, and figuring out how Jesus' core message of the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus relates precisely and powerful to the kind of world We live in today. But now, in these personal remarks, Paul brings together those two pieces, together and tomorrow. Let's look, beginning at verse 9. Follow along. Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Chris Gens, who has, has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to you in Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support all alone, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against him, because the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We might summarize... The one message, the one central emphasis that ties this passage together in this way. Being together for tomorrow requires thinking strategically about relationships. All relationships, past, present, and future. And as we'll see, he's actually using this o- the occasion of this letter to call Timothy into an even more strategic relationship for the future. Now let's review this list again. And as we do, I'd like you to just see what strikes you about this list as a whole. You don't even have to know the people, uh, who these people are. As a matter of fact, it might be easier for you to see if you don't know who they are. What strikes you about what Paul is saying about the people in this list? Demas. He packed it in. It deserted me. Christ is is gone to Galatia. And Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get bark and bring him with you. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Sticks out in this list. All of the people, very strategic relationships Paul has had who have left him for whatever reason, right? Most of the people with whom I worked are no longer with me. Think about that. Here's the apostle Paul the central person in the history of the world who God used to build his church, and here he is, alone. Not that he's outlived them, they've left him. He's basically alone. Only Luke is with me. Like, how sad is that? It seems to me that Paul is helping Timothy in this. One of the things he's doing is he's helping Timothy come to terms with one of the facts of life when you you develop a focus when you become strategic, one last thing he ta- wants Timothy to realize as he takes over the re- reins of leadership is that, Timothy, relationships are unpredictable and they're changing. They just are. And in those changes, relational separation often brings pain. Sorry, Timothy, they just do especially strategic team relationships. But although that's what ties this list together and is sort of an underlying emphasis, Paul's thinking about this list is much more nuanced than that. He doesn't put the worst possible spin on it. When he thinks strategically about this list, he's, he's able to evaluate those team relationships differently, those departures differently. Because people leave for various reasons. Now let's look at some of those people. First one is the only one that's really a a negative spin. Demas quit the team because he loved this world. Or as the New Living Translation, he loved the things of this life. Two times in his previous letters, in Colossians and Philemon, Paul has talked about Demas in a very positive way, as a valued team member. But at the end of the day, even though you hang around with and are mentored by a spiritual giant, it doesn't automatically rub off. I have at least one prominent Demas in my life. She was a young intern with with a lot of promise. She had a business degree and a Bible degree with straight A's, she was loved, she had charisma, she was a strategic thinker and a hard worker. After her internship experience, we began a conversation about bringing her on full-time in some way. She thought about it, turned it down, which, okay, it happens, but it was why she said no and her choices after she said no that were so disappointing. At first, she said, well, you know, I'll pray about it for a week. And I said, okay, great. And then when she came to me, she said, you know, I just feel God is leading me in a different direction. She said the right words. But then, her words to me on her last day were something like this. She she was trying to give me a compliment, actually. But what she said revealed much more about her than about me. She said, Mel, I've loved working with you so much, especially with you. But Mel you could be so much more than a pastor. Thanks, I think. You you could be the CEO of a successful company, she said. You don't have to stay here. And then it was some of the very core relationship choices she made after leaving. She didn't leave because God led her. She She left because she was too much in love with the things of this life. She left a hole, but what really grieved me was the hole that she had in her heart that she wasn't even acknowledging. As we make some of our Together for Tomorrow moves, would you use this as an opportunity as you consider being involved in some way, in a new way, and growing together, and in order to do that, some of us might need to say, you know what? I need to reprioritize and let go of some of the things in my life that have claimed so much focus. This world things. Use this as an opportunity to, well, as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All this stuff is going to be taken care of. Just watch the rest fall into place. Some of us might have to say, you know, my problem is that that, I, that I've just got so many demises in my relational circle—nice people, good people—but they're simply just fun people, and they're keeping me from taking the next step of building my life on Jesus and for Jesus. Are the relationships I'm spending time on drawing me towards this world stuff, or are they pulling me towards loving God more and loving God first? That's the question we need to process. Will you do that? But it's not just Demas that's left, Paul. The rest of them also left for, well, either for positive reasons or at least for not negative reasons. And and yet, even though the team aspect of their relationship was short, point in time, and their leaving was a good, it still hurt and it left a hole. But as Paul thinks about them, he's able to say, you know, it hurt at the time, it just felt wrong, but God came through for me in totally different ways. Some of these, like Christ's we we don't know anything about, but Timothy probably did. He, he was obviously a, a, a positive relationship, but probably doing something good for God somewhere else, but gone. Some of these, like, like Titus, we know a little bit about, because the, the very next book in the Bible." Uh, after Second Timothy is is a letter written to him, reminding him who he is, and why he is where he is. You, you know who Timothy or Titus is. Titus is Paul's Timothy before Timothy came along. Paul has sent Timothy to the island of Crete, which, if you know anything about that time and that place, Crete was not really a strategic place. Titus is leading the charge there, building the church there, but it's not really a strategic place. I wondered this week how Titus felt as he realized Timothy had taken his place as Paul's go-to guy in a more high-profile position. Oh, I wasn't good enough to be your companion anymore, so you sent me to some backwater place? You think Timothy's better than me? You know, it's so easy to look at our relationships, and sometimes especially relationships when we're working together for God in terms of, where am I in the pecking order? So-and-so gets more profile than me. But Titus seems to have risen above that and takes on his job with gusto. Even though these people are no longer with Paul and at the end of his life, Paul still feels very acutely the loneliness of their loss. He sees that they're exactly where God wants them to be, but it's still... Hurts. It still leaves a hole. I, I I've been at a point in my life this last two years, or coming up on two years, where in the course of two years, four of the key relationships I've had that were short, short point in time, really core team relationships have either died, some very suddenly and unexpectedly, or are going to be gone in the next year. One died suddenly just 10 days ago and her funeral was yesterday and I made the tough decision not to go and be there. Reading this passage in 2 Timothy has made me reflect deeply deeply on some of those relationships because in each case they're leaving, they're pulling out, left me with some pain, some hurt and, and significant loneliness. And with some of them, people use the occasion to Plant seeds of doubt. Hmm. Why did these people really leave? With all four of these relationships, we've remained close friends and we've been able to support and encourage each other in our own separate journeys and be team members because all of us have the maturity and insight to see that even meaningful team relations are often just point in time and then you move on. Not all relationships have turned out that way. So how does this all apply to us? Well, when it comes to being together for tomorrow, some of us might have to do some letting go regarding past relationships in our life. Good relationships that we think ended too quickly, that we've lost and we're trying too hard to hang on to. We're blaming someone, but the real problem is that we're just hanging on too tight to people who in God's plan might be point-in-time people in our lives. God is saying, hey, they're not bad, but don't hang on too tight because you can't live in the past. Let them go. Some of them might be hurtful relationships, and we're still tasting the bitter aftertaste, and we're saying, no way, never again. It's keeping us from working together with a team again effectively, and God's saying, come on, let it go. Will you do that? There's another name on this list that might speak to some of us as we think of Together for Tomorrow relationships. It's the last name on the list on the screen, Tychicus. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Where's Paul? He's in Rome. Where's Timothy? Ephesus. We should probably read this with saying, Timothy, I sent Timothy, or Tychicus, to Ephesus. He's not a spam messenger. My account did not get a hacked. You need to trust this letter and listen to his words from me. Tychicus' name on this list makes Tychus makes, makes this list as one of Paul's core team, core team members, even though the only thing we know about Tychicus is that Tychicus is the guy who hauled Paul's mail around the Roman Empire. That's all he does. He's a runner. But he is Paul's trusted courier service. That's all we know about him. But do you realize, do you realize how significant Tychicus' role is, how absolutely crucial Tychicus was for the way the church grew in the Roman Empire? This is Paul's only way of communicating, and Paul has to trust this guy. He's in jail. He can't do anything. Paul has to trust this guy to follow through faithfully to the end, to find a way to get the mail there regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the distractions and attractions, to just stay for a little while here and make a quick buck there. The only way the church moved forward was because Tychicus took his job seriously. He did it well and delivered this letter to Timothy. We'll see in a bit why that was so, so significant. The only reason we have this letter, and the letters to Colossians and, Philemon, or, and and Ephesians in the New Testament, two of the letters that are just core letters for growing in Jesus, the only reason we have them is because Tychicus did his job well. But all I did was... Pass on a letter. Amazing. It wasn't just the letter. Paul trusted Timothy to pass on his, or trusted Tychicus to pass on his instructions to Timothy. And in the case of the Colossians, to pass on some very important news with the nuance that Paul would deliver it. Optimism. Oh yes, it's hard, it's tough, but you guys, it's doable. And in the case of Timothy, not just optimism, but Urgency. It it wasn't just, don't ask me, I'm just a messenger. I'm just doing what I was told. Even in affirming Tychicus for this role, he says it, though, with a little bit of pain, doesn't he? He sent Tychicus, but as soon as he says, I've sent Tychicus to you, he says, only Luke is left with me. You see, some of us, as we work together, we need to realize that little, unnoticed roles can have huge impact for the future. We just need to give ourselves to being faithful in in the role that we have. You know, uh, let me just summarize. We could say a few more things about people there, but let me summarize uh, four things that I think Paul might want us to hear as he thinks of these people that he's loved dearly but who have left him. Number one, we already said it, relationships are unpredictable you got to get used to it. Number two, the past is past. Get over it. And number three, you still have a role to play. Get into it. Number four, every single role is significant. Get on with it. But there's more to this section than just people who have left Paul. There's there's more to this list than people in Paul's past. And this section actually brings to the forefront one of the main reasons that Timothy is holding the letter from Paul in his hands. In order to see that, just think with me a bit. Why is it so urgent if Paul grieves the loss of Tychicus in these last months of his life? Why is it so urgent that Tychicus goes to Timothy now? Couldn't Paul have kept Tychicus with him and said to him, you know, my time is short and I need you here, but after I'm gone, will you make sure you take this letter to Timothy? Wouldn't that perhaps even had a more powerful, dramatic effect on Timothy? Timothy, Paul's gone, but this is what he's left you. But he couldn't do that. Why? Well, for a hint... Look at at the one main request in this section. It's more than a request, actually. It's a directive. He says it twice. He leads with it in verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. One of the main purposes of of delivering this letter was not just the letter. It was Paul's, Paul's command. It's not, he's not saying, like we say, you know, try, but just do your best. This isn't just do your best. This is more like, well, the New American Standard or the New English Translation say, make every effort. Make this your highest priority. He repeats it like a good, smart goal with a time expectation in verse 21. Do your best to come before winter. And as you figure out the time thing, what he's saying is, you've got to leave, buddy, right now or else you won't make it. Timothy, I need you to drop everything you're doing and come here one more time. But why? Why? When you think about this directive from Paul in light of what Paul has been telling Timothy to this point in the letter, what Paul has commissioned Timothy to do to take over the reins of the leadership of the church, especially in this very strategic region of Asia Minor, what do you think Timothy's first thought would have been? It's like, huh, how does this fit? You gave me this job and it's not yet done. You asked me to commit to this direction and now just when I'm in the middle of it, you're, you're moving the goalpost." I can't just pack up and go, i got to do this, 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 and this. You see, this is one of those zigzag kind of things that, well, just read our annual report. We talk about zigzagging. God does that to us. Not changing the direction, it's just switch back path to get there. So why is it that Paul wants Timothy to leave Ephesus where he's working so strategically and take this immediate, long Dangerous. It's going to take about a three-month, three to four-month trek over land and sea from Rome, or to Rome, to just to be with Paul. Does that not sound a bit well, selfish on Paul's part? Putting his own needs first? That's not the way Paul is, is it? Timothy, I'm lonely. I need you. That is so not what this is. This is actually Paul thinking strategically into the future about one more team thing he has to do for the church of tomorrow. When Paul tells Timothy to drop it all and come, he's, he's strategically pulling together one last team meeting. This is not, I need you here to encourage and comfort me as I die. This is not even, let's get together as many of the people from the past as we can and have a reunion. This is way more powerful than that for us what Paul does in calling, in calling Timothy to him is a, is a strategic plan that has as much impact on us as any decision Paul ever made. Any meeting Paul ever had. As I, was, uh, as I was reflecting and planning on this week and read this ad that there's another Oceans movie coming out, I thought, oh my goodness, this is the first Oceans meeting not the song, the movie. There are very few movies that I watch more than once. But Oceans, I'll do it. Professional robbers who, Danny Ocean, George Clooney, every time he comes out of prison, calls together his team one last time to pull off one more great heist. And the movies always begin with this, uh, uh, see, these scenes of uh, Danny cajoling and coaxing and inspiringly compelling each one of them, one by one. We can do it. It'll be worth it. But we need you. But this team meeting is for way bigger stakes and way bigger impact. It was to strategize next steps as God's team to take back what had been taken from God. God's plan to make the kingdoms of this world the kingdom of our God so that he will reign forever and ever with everybody who wants to be there with him. And this is not just a story. It actually did happen and had a world-changing impact. This team meeting Paul is calling is a brilliant and strategic move, possibly even way more than Paul realizes in making God's plan a reality for tomorrow. We know this is what Paul is doing for at least three reasons. Number one, we get a hint of it from who he asks Timothy to bring with him and why. Why? Make sure you get John Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Hold it, he is helpful, not was helpful? No, no. What are you talking about, Paul? You said your ministry's over. Uh Uh-uh. This means that although Paul says he's finished his course, he's not quite yet done. He's actually in the last several hundred meters of a 10-kilometer run and he's picking up the pace for the final push second hint we get is when we see what it is that Paul asks Timothy to bring him. Oh yes, there's that cloak that I left with Carpus. I need that as winter comes. A cloak is an overcoat to give him comfort when winter comes in a cold Roman prison. A cloak represents those kinds of things that are just just foundational, basic necessities. Not just for comfort but necessities that he needs so he can be strategically focused on what he's planning. For us, you know, one of those cloak things its money, right? You've got to have money to do what we're going to do. And, and uh, next week, we're, as, as we told you a couple weeks, the so next week we're going to be in talking about that, and we're going to invite you to consider ways in, in which you can be part of that. But the, the cloak is basically relevant because of what else Paul asks Timothy to bring along. Bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. What's with that? Well, we'll come back to that. Third reason we know Paul is being missionally strategic, forward-looking in his relationships right now is because of what happened as a result of this team meeting that Paul calls together. See when the penny drops for you as we keep talking. Before we see that, let's look at more a little more closely at this team he's calling together. Who is it? Four people. His final team. It's Paul. Luke, the only one who stayed with him. Who's Luke? Well, Luke is strategic for two reasons. Luke was a physician. And I think it's highly probable that God kept Paul alive in this cold, dank Roman prison these horrific conditions. Paul, God kept Paul alive long enough for him to have this team meeting because Luke was there with him. But Luke was more than a physician. He was a historian and a writer. You're Starting to see where this is going? And there's John Mark. This one's beautiful, folks. Some of you know why. John Mark was one of the people who had left Paul the nephew of Barnabas, Paul's partner on his first foray in taking the mission of Jesus out of the original Jewish social circle and geographical hub into the Roman world and into the Gentile social circle. And John Mark quit. He didn't quit because he loved the things of this world. He quit because he just couldn't hack it. He wasn't mature enough. And he went home. And that actually caused a split in Paul and Barnabas's relationship. Paul says, he's a quitter, he's done. Barnabas said, you know, I, I'd like to keep working with him. Somehow, without having long-term negative feelings, Paul and Barnabas decided to split up. Okay, you work with John Mark, I'll keep pushing ahead. I'll Paul picks up Silas to replace Barnabas and John Mark, and they move forward. But John Mark learned the lesson, and he grew. And now, in his last team meeting, It's John Mark that Paul says, Timothy, I need him there with me too because he is helpful for what I want to do. You know, there's some John Marks in this room. You've quit at some point in time because it became too demanding because you interpreted what someone did or said in a way that you said, I quit, but God is not done with you. Maybe as we look together at tomorrow, it's the occasion God is using for you to stop picky-picking at this and that because you felt marginalized at some point. It's time for you to say, you know what, perhaps there is a role I could play. There's Luke, there's John Mark, Timothy, and Paul for one last team meeting if Paul can stay alive that long. We don't know if he did, but I kind of really believe he did because of how history has rolled out. I think there's plenty of evidence to believe this meeting happened, and we're going to see why. Timothy, Paul, Luke, John, Mark, together with what? Scrolls and parchments, a new kind of writing surface, the tool of tomorrow. Perhaps it was one that, it, 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 parchments are stuff that you could actually write on, write on the margins. Perhaps these scrolls are pieces of the Old Testament that either Luke or Paul had scribbled some notes on. and Think about it. Think about it. What is the most powerful tool that was, that is, being used by God to change lives and change the world? It is the written Word of God. The God-breathed record of what He has done, what He wants to do, and what He will do. The God-breathed account of His mandate for the church of tomorrow. Do you realize that over half of what we call the New Testament, is written by three of these men. All of the letters of Paul, many of whom were transcribed by Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of Mark. It's not a stretch to think that this last team meeting changed the course of human history. Was it because Paul had the foresight to see that since it's God's Word that endured forever, that God's Word cannot be changed since as he er, chained like he is, since as he said in this book that it's God's word that is useful for teaching, correcting, instructing, and training his righteousness, that he still has more work to do, oh yes, he's at the end of his course. He needed to let go of the idea that he would be able to get out of prison one more time, but that does not mean he was yesterday's news. There is one thing that he can do, even confined to prison, perhaps because he's confined to prison. And so he gets this tomorrow team together, and around the scrolls and parchments, they don't reminisce about the past or comfort each other in their loneliness. They strategize. They theologize. They reflect on Jesus' words about his life and his death. And, 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 and maybe in light of those final words that Luke records in his gospel of how Jesus opened the mind of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that all of the words of the Old Testament point to him. And they realize that this message has to be documented clearly and accurately and insightfully for the world to be changed for tomorrow. It seems to me that it's reasonable to think that this team meeting happened because we have the United Inspired record of what, by God's direction, these three people were able to see together, Luke, Paul, Mark as the writers, and Timothy as the spokesperson All because at the end of his life, Paul is still thinking strategically about relationships. Not past relationships, not personally beneficial relationships, but a team relationship that will make the most difference for the church of tomorrow. But what is it that makes Paul able to think differently and let go of painful team relationships of the past and and keep thinking strategically about relationships of the future? It was another relationship A core relationship Paul has that trumps and that even helps him define and interpret every other relationship and every other circumstance. At my first defense, verse 16, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might still be more fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. You see, it's often in and through the pain of lost relationships that God is inviting us to grow in seeing and appreciating and valuing and being strengthened by the one relationship that is the most important. It was when everyone left me, says Paul, that I was able to come and know in deeper ways, in strengthening ways, that the Lord stood by my side. And he stood by my side, not just to make me feel good about myself, but to help me to fulfill my calling, maybe in different ways than I thought. As he's sitting here in prison, he's thinking about the mission to which God had called him, so that through me the message of God might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. One of the reasons Paul got pushed back from people who were God's people is because he owned what many of God's people refused to accept, that the reason Jesus died was so that those out there, including Gentiles for these these Jewish believers, could discover true life in Jesus. And Paul kept seeing the goal and the calling, and that kept him from being drained when even his team members didn't get it. And maybe it was seeing that goal, that all the Gentiles, the majority world of the future, including you and I, Maybe it was that goal that made Paul rethink his strategy and call this team meeting because Paul did not focus on what God was not doing for him and on what he could no longer do for God. You see, Paul was a man on the go. He was always on the go. No grass growing under his feet. So what did God do? It's actually quite humorous when you think about it. God allowed Paul to Get put in prison. He tied him down in one place long enough, which forced him to think deeper and look further down the road and became the context out of which the majority of the New Testament would be written. Wow. Oh yeah, he focused on many of the many powerful ways in which God had preserved him from death, but he did not lock in and say, you know, God's got to do it again. This team meeting was not about let's pray together and believe that God's going to get me on the road one more time. No. Paul had a much deeper and more profound trust in God than that. You know, some of us are distracted from being part of Together for Tomorrow because you're looking at life in terms of what you are not getting from God now that you think you have to have. No. What you have right now is what God is giving you and what He's allowing you to have, and He wants you to do two things. Number one, He wants you to think. What is it that right now I'm calling a loss, that I'm saying is painful, but which God is trying to get you to say, you know, I, I'm going to let go of that, and to, I'm going to let go of that and grow deeper with Him, and I'm going to leverage that loss for His gain, as long as He gives me strength. He's saying, will you realize that I am faithful? Will you realize that I have loved you with an everlasting love? Will you use this failure, this loss, to allow me to come close to you? Because you've just been ignoring me a bit. You've been holding me at a distance. You've been forgetting me, and you've been interpreting me just in light of what I'm going to do for you. No. What is it that I'm calling a loss, a pain, but which God is trying to say, I, I'm gonna, I want you to let go of that, go deeper, leverage that loss for his tomorrow gain. Will you see that what I have given you, allowed to happen in your life, is an opportunity for you to play a role in my team for tomorrow? You may have to think differently, but th- there is something I have for you to do. What created this team but got Paul on this team. And the only dr- thing that draws any team of God together is a man defeated, shamed, broken, lonely, and a loser hanging on a cross. So that you and I could become true winners with Him on a team that will last forever. That's why we come together around this table. Servers, will you come forward? This little ceremony is an invitation from Jesus It's Jesus that invites you to eat this bread and drink this cup, not me. He's inviting you to do it, but only if you can do it with with integrity. And that means two things. It means, number one, recognize that there's only one way I can call myself with God. It's by saying, I need Jesus, I need what He did to forgive my sins. To restore me, because I've turned my back on Him, so I can become what He is offering to me—the righteousness of God in Him. And maybe you, maybe you've never really done that. And if you, if you want to do, if you want to say yes to God, all you have to do is, is, is just you don't have to do it by doing this. But but when you do this, you, you can't say you know what. I'm going to receive that today because I know I need it. I, I want to be on God's team. If you, can, if you can say that, take this, celebrate. Number two, if, if you need to say, that, you know what, I, I, I've been distracted in my focus. I want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and just let God add to that what, what he wants. I want to know this Jesus and make his name real in my networks and neighborhoods together for God's tomorrow. You can say, yeah, I'm in with that. Jesus is saying, well, then you're in with me. Take it. Let's eat together. The bread, which is his body. The cup, which is his blood for you. As we think of his body broken for us, let's pray. So our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful love you have showed us. by sending your son, your only son, Mm. to save us. But just not send him down to earth to save us, but just the way you did it. To suffer a terrible death at the cross. Where his body was broken for sins. So now we appreciate this bread as a symbol.